Today, July 2nd, 2023, is the 86th anniversary of the disappearance of Amelia Earhart, arguably America's most famous female flyer. Her around-the-world flight in 1937 followed that of pilot Wiley Post's earlier flight, but followed the equator more closely and was the first by a female flyer. She was then married to the publisher George Putnam, who was very interested in her flying exploits and greatly interested in publishing her adventures as he had done earlier with the book We by Charles Lindbergh. Amelia chose the Lockheed Electra 10E Special, in part because it had two motors, but also it was all metal, very advanced, and was fitted with larger-than-usual fuel tanks. Her first attempt was a disaster. On March 17, 1937, she flew west from Oakland, California, landing in Honolulu, Hawaii. On March 20th, on takeoff, the aircraft veered to the right, and Amelia overcorrected the throttles and spun the craft to the left, collapsing the right landing gear. Fortunately, fuel did not catch fire, but the damage was extensive. This accident possibly had a negative effect on Amelia's confidence and may have contributed in some way to later events. Her second attempt was on June 1st, 1937, this time going east from Oakland, California to Miami, Florida. The eastbound direction was decided on because of changing weather conditions. The Lockheed Electra had advanced navigational gear, including a Sperry gyro pilot, to give Amelia piloting brake time, and a Western Electric Model 13C radio transmitter and Model 20B receiver. These would be of critical importance during the last moments. Her navigator was Fred Noonan, who had a distinguished history of flying and was considered highly competent in his field. There is disagreement as to whether his leaving Pan American Airways was due to excessive drinking. It was rumored but not confirmed. Amelia needed a competent navigator and her first choice, Harry Manning, bailed after the crash in Hawaii on the first attempt. Flying navigation was different in 1937. Noonan navigated using three methods, pilotage, dead reckoning, and celestial navigation. Pilotage is done by looking for landmarks, but over the sea it is useless. Celestial navigation is done by locating the sun, the moon, the stars, and certain planets. Dead reckoning depends strongly on computations using distance, time, speed, and direction. In the air, the wind speed may slow or speed the flight, and side winds may drift 
the position of the aircraft laterally to the left or right. The Electra was to have devices dropped with either powder or smoke to show wind drift, but these were left behind. Noonan was most experienced with celestial navigation, but the Electra didn't have an astrodome window which would have helped him use his instruments more easily. On the final day, Noonan seems to have gotten the Electra within several hundred miles of Howland Island, and it was up to radio communication with the ship Itasca to now establish the exact location and the path to follow. While the ship operators were familiar with Morse code, Amelia and Noonan were not. Nevertheless, the Morse code signal for letter A was received by Amelia, and it was an encouraging sign. Amelia asked for a voice response and received none. She asked for a direction fix, but she was operating her radio at too high a frequency for the Itasca's instruments to find the aircraft. They heard her message saying that she was traveling in the compass direction of 157-337, which is a compass line calculated to intersect Howland Island. Compass point 157 would be southeast of Howland, and 337 would be northwest. Fuel was running low. Should they look left? to the northwest or right to the southeast. Turning right seemed the better choice because there were no islands north of Howland, but several were located towards the south. No further communication was heard by the Itasca. There was an anomaly which may have contributed to the communication problem. The Lockheed had an antenna located below the fuselage, which later photographs showed had dislodged somewhere along the 22,000-mile journey. The communication at 8.43 a.m. was the last contact with Amelia and Noonan, and the mystery of their disappearance began. The search for Amelia and Fred Noonan continued until July 23rd. It involved 62 planes, later reduced to 42, traveling an area of 250,000 square miles, or roughly the size of Texas. The search reportedly cost $250,000 per day. Criticism arose in Congress of the high cost to the Navy, Assistant Secretary of Commerce John Monroe Johnson was quoted saying, From now on, no individual will be permitted to take off on any ocean or round-the-world flight that smacks of a stunt. Meanwhile, George Putnam was being flooded by telegrams and letters from people who claimed to have knowledge of where Amelia had landed. Putnam and Amelia were open-minded concerning psychic reports, 
and the 1920s and 1930s were times when many people had lost loved ones during the First World War and wished to communicate with them in seances. There were reports from a housewife in Texas and a boy in Wyoming who claimed to have heard a radio message from Amelia reporting the Electra had landed on an uninhabited island or on a reef. Although disregarded at the time, experts now suggest that these reports may be true as harmonic signals of a radio transmission may travel great distances, especially at night. In 1940, bones were found on Nikumaroro Island, 400 miles southeast of Howland Island, thought to be that of Amelia Earhart. An examination by Dr. D. W. Hoodless of Fiji determined that they were identified as a male. Later in 2018, Dr. Richard Jantz of the University of Tennessee wrote that according to their dimensions and by the clothing measurements of Amelia, that the bones were female and matched Earhart better than 99% of other individuals. Unfortunately, DNA analysis is not an option because the bones had been lost. Another artifact discovered on Nikumaroro Island was a sheet of aluminum which may have been used as a patch for the broken window of the Electra. The International Group for Historic Aircraft Recovery found it in 1991 and expressed a high degree of certainty that it circumstantially proves that Amelia's flight took her and Fred Noonan to Nikumaroro Island, where they eventually died of starvation. Heavy criticisms have been directed towards each of the individuals connected with the flight. Some said Amelia was to blame for her lack of planning. Some criticism towards Fred Noonan for his supposed drinking, even possibly during the round-the-world journey. Some to George Putnam for hurriedly seeing legal access to Amelia's estate and remarrying four months after she was officially declared dead on January 5, 1939. But, in fact, these individuals were all committed to the success of the mission and committed to the establishment of aviation as an accessible resource for every citizen. Amelia herself was a feminist in the best possible tradition. Fred Noonan was an accomplished navigator in his own right and had a remarkable history. George Putnam was an outstanding publicist and publisher. Together, these three did a great service. But, as always, Amelia was the most special. She always found her joy in flying. She continues to inspire, in her own words, 
which follow. Among all the marvels of modern invention, that with which I am most concerned is, of course, air transportation. Flying is perhaps the most dramatic of recent scientific attainments. In the brief span of 30-odd years, the world has seen an inventor's dream, first materialized by the Wright brothers at Kitty Hawk, become an everyday actuality. Perhaps I'm prejudiced, but to me it seems that no other phase of modern progress contrives to maintain such a brimming measure of romance and beauty coupled with utility as does aviation. Within itself, this industry embraces many of those scientific accomplishments which yesterday seemed fantastic impossibilities. Aviation, this young modern giant, exemplifies the possible relationship of women and the creations of science. Although women as yet have not taken full advantage of its use and benefits, air travel is as available to them as to men. As so often happens in introducing the new or changing the old, public acceptance depends peculiarly upon women's friendly attitude. In aviation, they are arbiters of whether or not their families shall fly and as such a potent influence. 